Good morning, Nashville. My name is Braden Gall, and this is the 440 for Tuesday, February 2nd. Today on the show, what in God's name was that mess in Tampa last night? Another professional sports team has won seven straight games. What is next for IBF super middleweight champ Caleb Plant? But we begin today with the first major question that Josh Heupel has to answer as Tennessee's head football coach. The 440 is built by the Kingston Group, Nashville's award-winning custom home and remodeling firm. So let me give you guys some quick insight into how my marriage works. My wife is a big time planner. She's the idea person. She comes up with the big concepts. I'm the doer, I execute. She's ownership, I'm the general manager. And we like everything to be carefully processed and analyzed on the front end, especially if you're gonna spend a whole lot of money on something, like say a new home or major remodel. And you know who else is like this? The Kingston Group, except they will do all of that heavy lifting for you. And I don't know about you, but our anxiety levels go way down when we have a carefully laid out and thoughtful plan in place. And this is what the Kingston Group does. They align their process with your vision. I'll let their work do the talking, though. Go check out their stuff at buildkg.com. That's buildkg.com. So the University of Tennessee has made a series of good decisions. And while I have plenty of doubts about the upside of Josh Heupel in Knoxville, this entire process has been handled in a boringly normal fashion. And that is inspiring, frankly. But let's be honest, this is UT. And after all, there are plenty of chances for something to go incredibly wrong. Bear with me here. Auburn hired Brian Harson, who might be the best hire of any of the big jobs that were open, Texas and Tennessee included. Harson hired Mike Bobo as his offensive coordinator, probably with some guidance from powerful people around the football program. Now, while Mike Bobo's system may not seem like a fit with Harson's unique style on the offensive side of the ball, Bobo is a guy that he knows from coaching against him in the Mountain West and, more importantly, is also someone who spent a lot of time recruiting and coaching in the SEC. Now, Josh Heupel has far more experience in the SEC footprint than Harson does, but he could do a whole lot worse with someone he's coached against and someone who has a ton of SEC experience by hiring Kevin Steele to be his defensive coordinator. And it's one of those times where maybe I don't mind the school and the boosters and the powerful former players maybe nudging Hypel along to make sure that Steele is on the staff. Hell, you're paying the guy anyway. Why not let a guy who's had a nationally ranked defense in the SEC West almost each of the last five years, pandemic season notwithstanding, who's been a head coach and has recruited very well to his side of the ball in the SEC, why not let him have a role on your staff? You're paying him anyway. Why would you not get something for that money? I I honestly don't understand. Now, everyone else that's been sacked, especially Jim Chaney, or anyone that will get in the way of Josh Heupel's offense, nah, good riddance. Adios. But not even linebackers coach for Kevin Steele? He's incredibly overqualified for that job. Okay, fine. Maybe Steele doesn't want to be the linebackers coach. Okay, how about assistant head coach? Co-defensive coordinator. Senior admiral defensive metrics. Who gives a shit? You're paying him anyway. And Heupel should be pretty familiar with Kevin Steele's scheme and general ability. Maybe this should be the only question that needs answering. Hey, Josh, how tough was Auburn's defense to prepare for in that 51-14 drubbing you took from the Tigers in 2017 when you were coaching at Missouri? You know, when Drew Locke had one of the worst games of his record-setting season. If the answer is, damn, that was a pretty tough scheme, pretty good defense, pretty tough team, pretty tough game then it's a no-brainer. You keep the dude on the staff. 
Kevin Steele is an experienced guy with lots of SEC roots and relationships, and he probably makes all the good old boys feel orange and fuzzy inside. That, and he's a pretty damn good defensive coach. Have I mentioned that you're paying him anyway? We didn't talk about this on Monday, so I wanted to get to it today. Ashland City native Caleb Plant successfully defended his IBF super middleweight belt on Saturday night with an impressively easy 12-round win over challenger Caleb Truex. Plant's signature hand speed, jab-focused attack, and insane ability to avoid taking direct shots were on full display, and it now makes him 21-0 for his career. But really, it's all about what is coming next that matters. Plant is staring directly at a big-dollar unifying title match with Canelo Alvarez. Alvarez is boxing's cash cow and currently holds the WBC and WBA super middleweight belts. We do not have enough time to explain why boxing is so fragmented from a championship standpoint on this show, but Alvarez is scheduled to defend both of these titles over the next few months. Should he win both of those fights, and he should, then it would set up a logical, unifying bout with Plant because the IBF title would be the only one Alvarez doesn't currently hold. An Alvarez-Plant fight would fully unify the entire super middleweight division, and the winner would be the undisputed champion of the world. Now, first of all, as a casual boxing fan, but a diehard Nashvilleian who wants to see Caleb Plant dominate the world, I am obviously stoked for a potential fight like this. Do I have any real clue what sort of chance Vegas would give Plant to pull an upset should the fight actually get set up? I have no clue. I assume Alvarez would be a strong favorite. Unfortunately, Plant injured his left hand early in the match on Saturday night, and should that injury require surgery, it could delay such a fight. All I know is that Caleb Plant won every single round on every judge's scorecard with ease against a former champ with an injured hand. I think that gives him a chance in a big-time match against Alvarez. The Nashville Predators were in first place in the Central Division the day before they headed south for their four-game swing in the state of Florida last Thursday. Well, after two games against Tampa, the Preds are almost in last place. The Lightning roasted Nashville on Monday night 5-2 to two to sweep the two-game set with surprising ease. The Predators are 4-5 and five on the season and haven't really been competitive against any of the supposedly good teams in the division. They are 0-4 on the road so far and have given up 19 goals in those four losses. The first period was once again a huge issue, as the Preds fell behind 3-0 by the time the first 20 minutes was over. Nashville has scored a grand total of two first-period goals in nine games, which makes this team the worst first-period offense in the entire NHL. They've only scored four times in the second period all year, so they're not much better in the second 20 minutes. Tampa tacked on a power play goal in the second period and was up 4-0 heading into the final frame on Monday night. Once again, John Hines moved Philip Forsberg off the top line for the entire third period, just searching for something to kickstart his offense. And just like Saturday, Nashville did play its best hockey in the third period and closed the gap. Ellie Tolvanen scored his first goal in his first appearance on the season, and Mikhail Granlund continued his solid play with his third goal of the year. But after closing the gap by two, Tampa Bay totally shut the game down. It was far too little too late. And it wasn't just garbage special teams this time. On Monday night, it was just bad hockey. Some major missed assignments and indecisiveness allowed Tampa plenty of odd man rushes and easy scoring chances. And guys who are good enough to win the Stanley Cup, like Tampa, don't normally miss those opportunities. So, if you're counting at home, the special teams are atrocious, the team doesn't start very well, and now is playing fundamentally poor hockey. John Hines and these players need to figure something out quickly. Nashville will get two days off before facing a Florida team on Thursday and Friday that, as of Tuesday morning, has not lost a hockey game all season and is tied for first place. Hooray. 
If you'd like to watch a professional sports team in the state of Tennessee do good things, check out the Memphis Grizzlies. The Grizz won their seventh straight game and are now 9-6 and six on the season, also known as first place in the Southwest Division, for whatever that's worth. The Grizz topped San Antonio 133-102, a 31-point win, shooting 56% from the floor on Monday night, and have not lost since January 7th. Memphis had 69 points at halftime. Nice. A 16-point lead, and John Morant had only taken five shots. This team totally dominated on both ends of the floor and is one of the better defensive teams in the NBA. Look, John Morant is a budding superstar that you need to be paying attention to. He finished with only 13 points and 8 assists on Monday night, but he only played 22 minutes. The rest of this team, though, is just fun to watch. They work. They move the ball. They're unselfish, and they scrap. Nine different players scored in double figures in Monday night's win. Morant is must-see television, and we should all be watching him. But if the rest of the team plays like this, then people are going to have to start paying attention to more than just the star point guard. Either way, the Grizzlies and Morant have zero time to think about it as they are back on the court Tuesday night against the Pacers in Indianapolis. Memphis will host Houston on Thursday night and travel to New Orleans on Saturday in what will be a very busy week. In other basketball action tonight, the Vols are heavily favored in their trip down to Oxford to face Ole Miss. Tip-off is at 6 p.m. And Kentucky, which sits at 4-4 four and four in the SEC, will face a ranked Missouri team on the road at 8 p.m. for the nightcap. Of course, we are all trying not to look ahead to the first of two major matchups between Kentucky and Tennessee, which will take place this Saturday. The Wildcats game with number 5 Texas was canceled over the weekend due to COVID, so let's crank up the elevator music and wait for test results in Lexington, I guess. The 440 is built every single morning for you by the Kingston Group, an award-winning, locally-owned, custom home and remodeling firm. Go check out the website, buildkg.com, and you will see that this company is all about alignment. This simple concept is what has made the Kingston Group successful for over a decade in Nashville. They are one of the few firms in the city that does the design work in-house for this exact reason, so that there are no disconnects, no miscommunications, no misunderstandings, no missed deadlines. Go look at their work, buildkg.com. That's buildkg.com. To all of you that are new to the show, I say thank you. Thank you for checking us out. We do appreciate it. Please share the show with somebody else so that somebody else that's new can check out the show. We are eternally grateful for all of you guys sharing the show and telling everybody about the product. We do appreciate it. And of course, make sure you're checking out the website, buildkg.com, the Kingston Group. They're great folks, and they support this product. My name is Braden Gall. Thank you all for listening. This has been the 440 for Tuesday, February 2nd. The 440 is a production of 440 Media, written and produced by Braden Gall, music by William Tyler.